Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I bring you some of the greatest talent in the Central Florida arts community. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show, episode by episode. Hey guys, welcome back. It's another week, another Wednesday, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. My guest this week is Justin Schneier. He was here last week for part one of this two-part episode, so he stuck around and recorded the second half of it, and that's what we bring you today. You might want to listen to the first half before you listen to this, but uh, maybe not. Maybe maybe you want to go rogue on me, and that's perfectly fine. I, I What am I, your mother? Anywho, before we start, I do want to wish a special holiday New Year's shout out to three people, to Helen M., to Mike H., and Rebecca T., and they know the reason why. So, let's get to business. Justin Schneier and I watched Season 6, Episode 7, Taking a Chance on Love, Part 2, and the original air date was November 7th of 1984. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Justin Schneier. Well, here we are again. It's a week later. It's it's amazing what has happened in that week. Um, no, we just did. You choose to wear the same outfit? It, oh my God, are you wearing the same one too? Oh shit! Holy crap! Wow. That's so freaky deaky. Oh my God. <laughs> well, Taking a Chance on Love, Part 2. We have more to discuss. Um, we, we don't need the pleasantries of the beginning as normally. It's like, Justin, yeah, welcome. We're friends. You live here. I know you. The listeners know you. Let's just get on with our lives, okay? Hey, everybody. So... Um, I have to make a correction. Last week, I provided incorrect information. I said that this was two episodes and you had to wait a week in between episodes. Incorrect! Oh. No. The original broadcast was the same night. It was an hour-long special on November the 7th of 1984. I I don't feel safe in this (laughs) booth with you. (laughs) With your lies <laughs> and your deceptions. Well, you have to suck it up and deal with it. Okay. But, so this episode, Taking a Chance on Love, Part 2, originally broadcast November 7th, 1984, directed by Asad Kelada, and written by Gail Honigberg. I said I would talk more about yeah. her this week versus last week. Uh, she... This is her only Facts of Life episode that she wrote. There are none others. Really? Or, or should say these are the only two. There's two-parters she wrote. Okay. But she came to the show with credits like Alice and Out of This World, and she did a lot of writing for the new WKRP in Cincinnati. I was expecting the new Adventures of Old Christine, but okay. No, not that, not that high profile. I don't know. The new WKRP did run a while, but it was certainly never considered to be as good as the OG WKRP. Okay. But yeah. So um, where are we? Bring us up to speed. When last we left uh, our our plot, our show, Justin, you have to not only recap how oh, we got here, balls. you now have to recap Damn it. where we go. 
<coughs> Son of a, I have a, <coughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna on stage in a minute. Um, so improv. Um, when last we left Joe, she was to meet the son of her new beau. And now, hilarious tragedy will ensue. <laughs> That's a great name for a memoir. Hilaria Tragedy. That's really good. Hilaria like Tragedy. It. Wonderful. Trademarked. Mm-hmm. So before we get started, Justin, you had told me last week that you had some feelings and thoughts about the opening credits. So that's a good way for us to kind of kick this off, don't I you think? I have built this up so much with you that what I have to say is in no way interesting or useful for your time. <laughs> but I just want to say... That font is Garamond. <laughs> No, I just want to say, I really like watching them try to make that pizza. Was that in an episode, or is that just a clip that is put together for the opening credits? Nope, it is in an episode. Uh, did I miss it? Season 6, episode 2. You couldn't miss it. It's it's everywhere around the house. I have the the DVDs are sitting right there by the no, television. I'm talking, in the course of your podcast, I don't remember a pizza coming up. Now, uh, granted... Are you behind a few? Because I am behind it's a few. It, it is, is recent. recent. Okay, yeah. I'm behind a few. I thought, well, oh, this is this is the real deal. Every show now has an ironic parody of an '80s montage uh, opening up their sitcoms. Yeah. Every, every it's it's a standard yeah. joke now, and it's nice to see this done in a non-ironic way. I actually found that very entertaining and fun, and made me want to watch this show. You could watch that episode. It's their season six, episode two called Slice of Life. And uh, when you listen to the podcast, when you when you catch up, it's mm-hmm. the episode with the wonderful Rob Lott. Season six, episode two, on your shelf, shelf number three to the left of the Carol Burnett <laughs> show and to the right of the Paul Lind Holiday. Correct. Okay, just Correct. making sure. Right there, yeah. And then above all the Planet of the Apes, everything. By the sign-out sheet <clears throat> for the spatulas in the kitchen. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, yeah, so let's let's actually get started. It's time to do the microscopic dissection. Okay. We begin the episode in, I guess, Sam's classroom, Sam being the boyfriend of Joe. Mm-hmm. If you haven't listened to part one, listen to it. I'm not going to recap everything as we go along. Sam is the boyfriend. We got places to be, people. Jesus let's fucking move. Christ. Come on. Get a move on. Um, so very soon after Joe is like, well, this is the point I'm going to be meeting Robbie, your son, in comes Robbie the son, and he's adorable. He His first word delivered perfectly, hey, dad, yeah. dad, <laughs> that's the best way a child can speak. And then what is his next line? Do you remember? No. <laughs> no, I don't. What is it? I'm quitting school. <laughs> and the dad's like, what do you mean you're quitting school? They say I dribble the basketball like a girl. So... He's having problems at school, even though it's only his first day. Mm-hmm. But before we go on with this uh, instant quandary of this child, we need to talk about this child. Yeah, uh, credits. Yeah. His name is Matt Shackman. S-H-A-K-M-A-N. Shackman, according to how he would pronounce Shackman. it. Shackman. My name is Matt Shackman. And he did act a bit as a child actor. He was in... Uh, one of the kids on the sitcom, Just the Ten of Us. And uh, here's a fascinating connection, Justin. What number was he out of the ten? Uh, I believe he was number eight. 
Number eight. I have no clue. I literally just pulled that out of my Awkward ass. Awkward later middle child. Okay. Now, Just the Ten of Us was a spinoff. The dad uh, was the gym teacher on Growing Pains, and they right. spun him off onto his own show. And uh, it ran for, it looks like it ran for four years, but only 48 episodes. So that's weird. I guess it was for... So this kid got a basketball dad in the next sitcom? Oh, my God. Do we know if he got any better? Oh, my God. That's crazy. You're so right. Links. But I'm going to take it one even, one freakier. Okay. Is that on that show, the mother on Just the Ten of Us was played by actress Deborah Harmon. Is that name familiar to you, Justin? Perhaps. Could you go on? The last time you did this podcast, the episode we did, we Mm -hmm. talked about, was where Joe was having another inappropriate relationship with a teacher. Right. That was with her female teacher, Gail Gallagher. Oh, my God. Played by Deborah Harmon. The mom on The Ten of Us was the teacher, and now one of the kids on The Ten of Us is playing the kid. Oh my God! And they go to see Gallagher in this episode. Nine Eleven was an inside job. Okay, we've cracked the code. And I was re-listening to that episode, by the way. Uh-huh. And we were talking about the lesbianic overtones of oh, her yeah. being friends with this single twenty-six-year-old teacher. Yeah. Yeah. If you weren't sure what they were trying to subliminally tell us, the fact that her name was Gail Gallagher. <laughs> Yeah, <clears throat> we we did miss that. I think we might have discussed it. Just, it, but... just smells fishy. <laughs> but anyway, this kid, Matt, Matt Shackman, <laughs> he did act as a child, did that show, but now he is a director. And not just a little piddly director, he's like a big time director because he has directed shows such as Game of Thrones, Mad Men, and Fargo as well as 43 episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Huh. So, big time TV director now, as an adult. We can't say anything negative about him right now (laughs) as we search for jobs. I mean, (laughs) one of the greatest directors of our time. He he truly is, really. And and this performance that he gave as a child, it was rivaled only by Quinn Cummings and the Goodbye Girl, I would say. Agreed. Anyone? Anyway, so uh, yes, but no, really and truly, I like him as yeah. as far as coached kid performances. Oh, he's doing great. He's fine. I, I have fun here. I mean, my grandparents are great, but I also have Grandma Edna, and she's no. like, and Edna. That was a great line. Yeah, I, I approve. That happens later when we ingratiate yeah. him more into the group and all that. But he he's not the Brando of child actors, but he's he's the Val Kilmer. He's yeah. doing okay. No, he's fine. He's fine. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing wrong with it. And he, he's cute, likable. There's nothing wrong here. So, bravo. And when you are casting your next TV show that you are filming in Central or South Florida, Mr. Shiak Mian, we know many actors that would love to work with you. The address is 7218. <laughs> So no sooner do we have this initial meeting of Robbie and uh, Sam saying, this is Joe, she's a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And there's this sort of, there is awkwardness, there is discomfort. And then uh, our friend Guy, Guy comes in to tell. Where is he from? That face was so familiar. He's done some things. Well, he was in the previous episode. It's the face of the 80s. He has the face of the 80s. Oh, oh, very, very, yeah, standard 
textbook yeah. 80s hunk going on. Yeah, that's what they used him for. But yeah, Guy uh, Reynolds is played by David Tiefen. We had him on briefly last week. And this now is his swan song, him coming in and announcing that Sam has a phone call. This is the last time we ever see Guy. Oh. That's I, had I known, I, I would have dressed better for that's this. That's sad, isn't it? Yeah. So then Sam goes off to take his phone call, and that leaves Joe alone with the kid. Yeah. There's some discomfort. But she says, so uh, what's the deal with that basketball thing you were talking about and he says they said i throwed like i throw like a girl she's like what do you even mean by that he goes they mean lousy and joe's like hey hey some people have mistaken me for being a girl and i'm really good at basketball i'm paraphrasing it's it's true so she starts showing him some basketball moves end of scene they start to bond now we're in the store and the silly subplot going on here is that Mrs. Garrett has started a bunch of international food promotions. And right now they are all dressed like Dutch girls. It's delightful. It is fun. It's Those really, hats, it's uh, genuinely fun. Not in an ironic, but it's, it's really, really fun yeah. to look at. And if you don't know what a Dutch thing is, it's the hat that's a point that's in the where top. You, that's where you take the comforter and you put it over your friend's head. And then you eat a lot of beans before. No, that's a, and Dutch, that's a Dutch... It's a Dutch oven, dear. Oh. Very different. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of talk about how ridiculous it is, how silly we are, how stupid it is. Mm-hmm. It's just there for kind of coloration. Um, it, made me, it made me realize Natalie is the best one. Really? Have you ever discussed that? Comedically? Just in general. Natalie's uh, the best one. Mm. Natalie has questionable ethics. We have some very problematic shows. I, I'm, I, maybe I should be more specific. As an actress, as a funny person, as a character, I like Natalie more. Okay. I, 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 decided, I don't doubt you. Yeah, I have decided she, is the, she wins. She's the one that you like the most. She's yeah. the one who I would save. Okay. <laughs> you, you'll kill her last? Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, I, she can watch. <laughs> so in this scene, in addition to this promo... Uh, of the 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 Dutch stuff, uh, Robbie is now at the table hanging with Tootie and Natalie, and there's all this shorthand going on of okay, he's a part of the family. This is where he makes a comment about yeah, I liked hanging with my grandparents, but I've got Grandma Edna here, and Mrs. Yeah. Garrett's like Auntie Edna. It's it's you know for an actress as great as she is, she really fucks up a lot of punchlines, really crappy comic timing. That was the closest she got in these two episodes, Bad Bath, where she almost hit the ball. Yeah, I've said almost. before. Her, I think her dramatic work is much stronger, that some of the comedic choices are questionable and broad. Has and her, I love her. I hate having to be that critical as I'm re-examining yeah. has, these. But. Has her character been... Uh, drawn back a little bit in, in these episodes? I mean, she's really... A supporting character at best in this. This is a problem you've heard me talk about on the show She's where it's not used. The really. girls are growing up and they're able to counsel each other now. Right. And so her role is becoming uh, progressively more extraneous. And that's why she leaves the series early. Mm. It's because she's like, okay, I've done this and they can do it without me now. Uh, so before uh, Sam and Joe and Robbie go off for their date. Tootie snaps a picture of them, and then Joe realizes she still has her Dutch hat on. Whoa, that's so silly. But they uh, leave. So this next little bit, cut from syndication, that's right. is where Tootie is looking at the Polaroid. Oh, and by the way, Tootie has graduated to a Polaroid camera now. 
She used to have uh, an Instamatic, okay. and now she's got a Polaroid, so she's looking at it. And then she says to Natalie, wow, I'm looking at this, and it's really weird how much they look like a family. And, and the response is, they look like a blob to me, or something like that. You have to let it develop. Oh, oh, that. Okay, you're right. But um, I forgot about that. That's okay. what the that was a were. hilarious <clears throat> joke. It was so funny. Razor it was sharp. So funny. Razor sharp comic oh my timing. God. Um, and then Tootie says, "I tell you, we're losing that girl." And Natalie's mm-hmm. like, "What?" And just getting wistful and looking at the picture and having her hand on Natalie's shoulder, she says, "She's gonna get married, and then Blair will get married." And then we'll get married. And Natalie looks at the hand on her shoulder and kind of says, uh, Tootie, I think we're just friends. There's a little lesbian joke. I think because with the last episode and this one, we really have to remind the viewers that Joe is a lesbian. (laughs) And And is influencing the others in the family. But it's it's like they have to pepper that shit in where it doesn't belong because... Really, the the true sexuality of Joe is really being pushed down in this episode. She's, yeah. Oh, you're going to be straight if we have to make you straight. Oh. Next scene is at Sam and Robbie's apartment. Joe is there playing toys with Robbie, making up stories with the animals. It's really just further them functioning as a family type of interactions. And it ends up with them putting him to bed. They start to kiss. We, I, I need to hold you for a second. Do it. There is some... Between last episode and this episode, there is an uncomfortable amount of horse imagery. Oh. Um, we have horses in the beginning, in the first episode. We in this episode, here. we're playing with horse action figures, <gasps> and then this man escorts his child away as a horse, with him trotting riding his back. on his yeah. back. What weird equus titty-twisting fantasy is this director <laughs> trying to impart I'll give you one better. We have, we have cookies and, and breads being sh- baked in the shape of animals. Next yeah. week, including at one point, it's like, what is this supposed to be? And they're like, it's a horse, but the leg broke off. Should we shoot it? <laughs> oh! So we have three weeks of horses going on here. Fascinating. They, they put the kid to bed, and then they kind of settle in. And there's all this stuff about, you know, getting the hang of now being a full-time parent and him getting Robbie's lunch ready for the next day. And they sit down finally and kind of relax on the couch. By the way, Joe is wearing matching gray sweats, a sweatshirt and sweatpants. It is the least dykey outfit that we see her in. But then while they're on the couch relaxing and kissing, Mm -hmm. Robbie comes out and we kind of think it's like, oh, he's going to catch them. But mm-hmm. he's, they're like, he's like, Dad, I want a glass of water. And he's like, you should be in bed, but I'll get you the glass of water. And happily, he runs around to the couch and plops down yep. next to Joe. So it's like, okay, he's he's cool with this. This is yeah. not being traumatic for the kid. Not at all. There's no greater cock block than a thirsty child. <laughs> Believe me, I've tried. <laughs> um, oh. But it ends up with him asking Joe to go to his parents' night at school, him being Robbie, yeah. not not Sam. And she's like, uh, don't you need to be a parent to go to parents' night? And Robbie's just innocently going, you can meet my teacher. You can see my work. And Sam is like, 
if you want to, you can. And then he does say, how can you say no to a face like that? Mm-hmm. Which is a little manipulative. A little bit. I don't think that it... The actions that this man takes the rest of the episode tell me that he is not actively trying to harmfully manipulate her. But it none of the... How, it, many, none, how many double negatives was that? So you think he's good or you think he's bad? I think he, I think he is a good guy. Me too. Um, yes. And I don't think... That he's actually trying to do anything nefarious, but yeah, you're right. Like it's no. it's a playful pushing, yeah, as opposed and, to yeah. And his the actor is playing it really well, and it is written yeah. that his intent is pure and true. Even though last week we spent a good chunk of time faulting, trying to figure out, yeah, um, faulting him for both being a teacher dating a student, yeah. and secondly being a single parent introducing his child to his partner very early. 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 Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's continuing to put But generally, that, like, he's again and again showing that he's a really nice guy. And it's, it just increases the stakes of the tragedy when the orphanage burns down. I know. When he drives that oil tanker, it's so sad. Next scene Blair and Joe are in the store. Sam is 15 minutes late to pick up Robbie. Blair is whining because it's a Gloria Steinem lecture happening at Langley. And Joe says, I know I don't want to miss this either. I'm on the program committee. Remember? Mm -hmm. Nothing is great for exposition than telling someone something they're supposed to already know and then saying, remember? Justin, this is my house and you rent a room from me here. Remember? You know, it's... It's It's garbage writing. It is. It's garbage writing. And here's the thing. Joe's not on the program committee. Joe is a fucking regent, or at least she was last year when she got a little too big for her britches, and then we kind of abandoned her being in this somewhat leadership government student position Mm. dealing with governing the college. But moving on, phone rings, (laughs) and uh, they're they're not leaving yet because Sam is late to pick up Robbie, and Joe is watching Robbie. Phone rings, he's still held up. Blair is like, can't you find anyone else? And Joe is getting angry at her. She's like, there is no one else, and he's my responsibility. Blah, blah. So... Joe says, go on ahead without me. Tell whoever asks my regrets. And then it ends on, this is the commercial moment. It ends with Joe just being left alone in the store. I thought, am I remembering this incorrectly? I thought it ended with her with the child. You're right. Playing an iconic game. I'm talking about the syndicated version. Yes. Oh, okay. okay, There is a moment that is such the clear act break. And I was surprised watching this with you. I was like, oh, there's more here. Oh, yeah. Robbie does come in. And what is he holding? Simon. Oh, I loved Simon. Simon was amazing. So the scene ends with kind of a Joe is is upset because, you know, now she has to miss the thing. And... And, and this is, like she says, I am responsible. He's my responsibility. Yep. And there is kind of a sense of, should a, a college sophomore have that kind of responsibility foisted on her? Well, and then, yeah. And then the kid comes in and she starts playing with him. And it's kind of like, ah, this is kind of what Playing Simon, which is a, a symbolic game because you have to follow the pattern, follow the rules. And she, as a woman, must follow the pattern of taking care of this child and... It's just layered in subtlety. Baking him as cookies and being barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen where she belongs. So then we come back from commercial. We're at the store again. And uh, by the way, we talked about them dropping a couple of bucks on doing location shoots. 
and having the horse and the picnic. Which, and we had, you know, we had the, the coffee shop at the beginning yep, of the last time. Yep. We've got the classroom scene. Which I believe is why we have end credits. The B-roll at the end of yeah. this episode during the end credits, I think that's them going, we just spent <laughs> an entire season's worth of production. Yeah. We are going to show every single shot that it is. we made. And we're going <laughs> to shove them all in the end credits. Yeah. It is just the picnic scene and then, and then the horseback the riding. The entire... But getting on the horse, getting off the horse, we need to showcase <laughs> that we paid for a trainer yes. to get her on and off that horse naturally because we didn't really do it we, well initially. Yeah. So they need to see... Yeah. It, it, every They had to show the network every frame of that footage they paid for. And still, two episodes later, this director can't forever. Nope. So nope. He's, he's done. He spent too much. Because in this episode... Like I said, we have the classroom at the beginning, and that's going to be where it ends. But we also have the apartment. That's also a new. We have two additional yep. sets here. We had the additional set. I mean, it's this is a lot it, of. It, it felt like watching The West Wing. I mean, was, the <laughs> amount of moving and, and this is a high budget well, drama. So after the commercial, we're back in the store. Blair is there. Uh, Joe comes in late. She says, "I was with Robbie." And this is where we get kind of more uh, expositional thing of, geez, you show for him and take him everywhere and you take him shopping and buy him sodas and stuff. And Blair does drop, and, and she has not really been a naysayer before this, but Blair does drop, it's not healthy. And Joe's like, whoa, whoa, what are you talking about? And she says, he's taking over your life, your time at home, your time at school. Mm -hmm. And Joe says, hey, the time I spend with Robbie means a lot to me. And Blair's response is, well, I hope you know how much it means to him. And she says, I think I do. And Blair says, well, I sure know that I do. And Blair Warner, God bless, we go into the show Bible. Someone actually opened the show Bible this week and went, wait a minute. Blair Warner is a child of divorce and has many times talked about how the abandonment of her various fathers and stepfathers has affected her relationships. Mm. So Blair is able to speak with authority. Authorita. Authorita. <laughs> um, that um, when she was growing up, she went through this pattern of starting to depend on the adults that would come into her life. And just when she would start feeling that, then they'd be gone. And she says the line that I'm sorry is the best line in this episode and one of the best lines ever. It's just too easy to break a kid's heart. Yep. And I believe you out loud said, well, this has shifted. <laughs> and it has. <laughs> well, I thought in the beginning of this saga that the issue was a teacher is dating a student. Yeah. I thought that was the issue. And then even though I still have issue with it, um, we've moved on, it seems, into new problems. Yeah. And new It became a, I mean, oh, with a kid. Yeah, now it's... And that's kind of where it's it's landed. Is yes. This, it's become this kid I, thing. I, I really wish that she wasn't... I really wish he wasn't her teacher. Yeah. Writing-wise, because it muddies, it, it muddies a much bigger picture of dating someone with a kid. That could have, should have been its own episode. Yeah. And then a completely different episode at another time or in another season yeah. could have been, I met this guy completely at a different place or yep. while I was at college, but he works in the registrar's office as yeah. opposed to being my teacher. 
Yeah, yeah no, you're that, totally that, right. That adds an unnecessary mm-hmm. layer of, um, of of conflict. Of it's just it's too of, much of complication. Complication, yeah. I think is what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. So then that's left. That moment is left to breathe with Joe thinking about it, and then we go into the next scene, still in the shop but a different day. And in comes Mrs. Garrett. She has got the newest concept in their international food festival bazaar, yeah. which she does her say. Epcot eatery. Her <laughs> Edna's Epcot edibles. Bam. There it is. Copyright that. Uh, she, um, sh- she is now moving away from Dutch food, and she is now moving into Mexican food. And immediately, the first thing Natalie says is, are we going to have to wear sombreros for this? Which is beautiful. And I love this moment. She comes in and says, here, take a churro. As in, taste this. What do you yep. think of it? And they actually say, what is this? 1984, churros were not a thing. You never saw them. What did you all eat except Hungry Man dinners? <laughs> With the apple No cobbler. churros, no sushi. What the fuck did I you know. eat? What was there to eat? Why was everyone so skinny and thin and sexy in the 80s and now we're fat and, and happy? I don't understand. <laughs> it's the churros. It's the it's churros. The churros. It's, the, and, it's the churros. And the chicken McNuggets. Sushis. That was the other thing. We didn't have those till... You might as well have just told me there was a third world war that I missed out on in school. <laughs> you didn't have chicken nuggets? Chicken McNuggets from McDonald's. Chicken McNuggets. I don't care. That's bananas. I did not know that. When did yeah. that happen? Um, What year was I in seventh grade? Yeah, four, five, seven, seven. It was like 80. Oh, Epcot had just opened. It was 82. It had okay. to be 82. All right, 82. So we came here right after Epcot opened. Mm-hmm. And while, because... You know, Disney wasn't this mega center. You still rented a car and you still drove to downtown Orlando to go to Rosie O'Grady's at Church Street Station and all that stuff. Well, while we were driving around, we went to a McDonald's. And at a McDonald's drive-thru, drive-thrus were very new also at this time. Interesting. There was this magical thing on the menu that we did not have yet up north. Mm-hmm. Chicken McNuggets. I was like, what is this magic what what is this shaft of golden light emerging through the heavens that are parting before me? A 12-year-old eating his first chicken McNugget. I tell you, I remember nothing else from that trip to Walt Disney World. But I remember the fucking, fucking nuggets. nuggets. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, uh, dear. But the fact that she has to, it's such a typical t- sign of the thing. What is a churro? It's a fry. I mean, literally, you can get them at Costco now. Every oh, yeah. Costco in the nation has churros. It's one step away from a taco. Like, it's that common. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah. It, You're right. It, and it was like, what is this magicalness? I have another food-related problem. Oh, you had I an have issue? I have a problem. Last week, you had a shit conniption, I believe is the term, over Blair holding her hamburger upside down. What is going on this week? And, oh, what is this? No one wrote in to say that they ate their burgers that way? Maybe it's because I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Tutti Fruities, I'm, I'm still waiting for that onslaught of... My, my mouth is full. I'm sorry I was eating. I'm still waiting for that onslaught of uh, emails telling me whether or not one eats one's burgers upside down sometimes. If you do, stop stop listening. Stop contributing. But, but continue with your point. Yeah. Um, no, um, this is a case of pizzazz and drama and fun 
overriding logic, and I don't care for it. Mrs. Garrett pulls a lever or something, and a piñata falls down, uh, already hung, ready to go. It's so cute and so fun and so silly. Piñatas should have candy in them. Mm-hmm. If a piñata had two pounds of candy in it, which a piñata that size should have about two pounds, any more than that it could potentially burst the piñata, and then you were to drop it like that, that would be like trying to hang a morbidly obese man at the hangman's. The neck would snap. It would fall apart. The, the that piñata was empty. <laughs> that piñata had no candy in it. I'm offended. Coming this fall to NBC, Justin Schneier, Piñata Police. So that's them not knowing their props, just like they don't know how to eat their burgers. They don't, which makes me think that not only is Blair a pod person, a pod alien, but Mrs. Garrett is also a pod Garrett. (laughs) Because aliens don't understand our food. Well, maybe that's why the series gets progressively weirder and odd. Is that slowly they're slowly each of them... becoming infected. It's it's the and what year did uh, John Carpenter's The Thing come out? I think that these are all that, fake. that was eighty two, but it had time to spread. Oh, <laughs> it had time to spread. A couple of years, throughout. yeah. Oh, got to reach. It, it was up in Alaska, and it's got to now come down to peak scale. Exactly. It's just if if anyone here thinks that their their family is um, overrun by aliens. Watch what they eat <laughs> and how they use their utensils. If they're using chopsticks on their chicken nuggets, you might be living with an alien. Yeah. Or or a very, very ironic hipster millennial. Chicken and another nuggets. and another thing to add after this 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 pinata dropping down. Number one, I was saying how I liked the direction of this and how we spent a lot of budget and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she drops that pinata, the shot is a wider shot of Mrs. Garrett at the register with a hole over the the upper left quadrant of the screen where it's like, gee, I wonder if something is going to happen in this empty hole. How many attempts do you think there were to drop that pinata? All I'm saying is the cameraman should have been directed to be in a medium close-up of her. And as she reaches yeah. to pull the lever, they could have whoop, done a little zoom out and done it. And that way it would have been a little more of a surprise. To me, it was being so blatantly visually telegraphed that something's about to happen. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking with all the uh, production budget that they had for this saga, like there must have been at least four pinatas that they kept trying. You think? I I do. I don't have empty. I don't have faith in them. Right. I (laughs) I will bet you there was one pinata. Or you know what? Probably three of them full of candy, and the fourth they went. You know what? I have an idea. Let's take the candy. Let's take the candy out. Yeah, we keep fucking this up, man. We got to get it right. Uh, And then they do it, and they got it right. And the cameraman's like, "Fuck! I forgot to do the medium close up, and then pull out." (laughs) Shit! It's okay. We'll just use that shot. It's fine. It's fine. And then the last note on this, and the and then the last word on this little. We're doing Mexican food. In response to the piñata, Natalie says, Ay caramba. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, this is three years before The Simpsons ever premiered as a TV show. And I don't believe Ay caramba might, it might have been on the Tracy Ullman version of The Simpsons. But but the funny thing is it's caramba. It's three A's. Ay caramba. So the idea of Ay caramba, this Americanization of it, that's what Bart Simpson made famous. And I'm like, oh, 
the fact that Natalie did say I caramba, I was like, wow, you are you are soothsayers. She is so worldly. <laughs> but the actual action of the scene is that they are getting their raincoats ready because they're going to see Gallagher. I would have been just as excited as they were. Oh, me too. Gallagher. He gets where, a bum where, rap. Um, I think he's has, funny. Gallagher is Gallagher's like a Dane Cook to me of that's a comedy event. Yeah. I, I, this, I mean, to me, aside from the smashing of the melons, to me, that was the expected he, part. He was very funny. He has a lot of good bits. Uh, yeah, stuck in the 60s. His, the special where he has the, the gigantic couch with the trampoline in it. Yeah. And so he's basically being this man-child jumping around. In fr- it's like there's just joy in that. It, is uh, he still with us? I believe he is. Honestly, he's only 74, only 74, according to Alexa. I thought he'd be much older. Wow. wow. But the deal is, yeah, he gets a bum rap. You know who else? I'm going to say it. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Carrot Top. Oh, Carrot Top definitely gets a bum rap. But honestly, I do think that he has a higher standing than Gallagher. Yeah. In comedy. He play, I mean, he still plays Vegas. I, have yeah. I told the story? I, how I, I told you how I met Carrot Top. Uh, quickly. Yes, please. Yes. Um, I met Carrot Top. Um, I was working at Starbucks at the time uh, in Winter Park Village. Mm-hmm. And um, he came up. And uh, he because people he ordered, don't know he lives in Central Florida. He does, yes. <laughs> um, he came up and ordered a double espresso macchiato. Uh huh. And um, and I thought, oh, that's fantastic. I'm going to save your receipt and put it in my wallet, and I did. Um, and someone, I, I asked his name for the cup, and my manager said, "Did you really just ask Carrot Top for his name?" I said, "Yeah, <laughs> I want him to tell me it was Scott because he's Scott. not on the he's not on the clock. He <laughs> just wants to get his freaking coffee. Yeah, I'm not gonna give him shit for it. But yeah, I met Carrot Top. Very nice guy. Very yeah. big. Very. I, oh, and here's the funny thing: his name is Scott Thompson, like the kids yeah. in the hall. Scott like the Thompson. Kids in the hall, Scott Thompson. Uh, I just yeah. love Scott Thompsons. Yeah, it's no, a we great, do. They're... If I have a kid, I'm gonna name him Scott Thompson, assuming yeah. I marry a Thompson. Uh, yeah. So, but I think Carrot Top is funny, and Carrot the creativity is, is very funny. That goes the, the creativity and the work that goes into those props, and people uh-huh. just dismiss him. Like even MST3K will be like. We can't find anything like this. Yeah, like a funny carrot top routine. I have no doubt that if you handed Mark Maron or Colin Quinn or Burt Kreischer, George Carlin, if you handed any of them props and said, make it funny, I bet you they'd struggle. Oh, yeah. I bet you they would struggle. Yeah, prop comedy is its own animal, and I think it might even be jealousy. uh, that I I wouldn't want to have to travel with all of his shit. No, yeah. How much stuff has to go with it, but yeah. Um. So, uh, yes, Gallagher, totally, at this point, 84, huge. Awesome. I would I would buy a raincoat to see his show. I, I just wouldn't sit in the front row. No, What's the oh, matter with silly. you? Oh, that's silly. No, I'd sit in the front What's row. What's the matter Why with wouldn't you? you? For fuck's sake, don't. What's the matter? You think you, you, you wouldn't go with a splash zone at SeaWorld 2? You're afraid of, of whale pee? Come on. <laughs> but um, thankfully, Mrs. Garrett doesn't know who this Gallagher person is. So we do get them to explain it, that he is a comic, and he does take a mallet, a giant mallet and smashes watermelons and various other melons and things as part oh of his act. And it's funny. It's and it was, a great bit. It was so irreverent. And no one, I mean, it's it's insane that anyone would even do that on a stage. And yet, it happened. Um, but no sooner do they get ready to go, in comes Sam. He's got ice cream. And he's like, hey there, Mrs. Garrett, I, I want to get some cookies. I've got seven kids coming over to my house. Joe, they want to play Demolition Derby with their toys, and Robbie wants you to referee. And then Joe is like, 
oh, I had some plans. I had plans, yeah. He looks and sees the raincoats and he says, oh, you're going to the Gallagher show. Funny. That is, I laughed hard. <laughs> hard. That is a very, very good joke. Hells that yeah. He, he had no idea. Yep. Looks at the raincoats. Oh, Gallagher. Yep. Like, it's just obvious. Perfect. That was very funny. Um. So there is, this is the only moment I talked last week about the, the moments where you're like, oh God, is he, is he about to turn into a villain? Yeah. Is this, is he gonna, and- is this going to come crumbling down? And there is a little bit of a, a silence of him kind of looking at her like, well, what you going to do? And Joe kind of has to uncomfortably say, yeah, I was going to, he says, oh, you were going too. And then she's like, yeah, I was. Finally, this pause this mm-hmm. pregnant pause of discomfort he yeah. does break it and say well go have fun i'm sorry i should have thought that you had might have had other plans that was that was stupid of me i'm sorry like he quickly retreats mm-hmm. into being a good guy thank god yeah um the only thing he does wrong to me and i don't know that it was conscious and they don't make a big deal of it so i don't think that the writers thought of this but um they didn't kiss goodbye oh after that awkward silence and, uh, and misunderstanding, hmm. you would think, you know, you say I love you after an argument, even if you storm away, to like have that one last moment of niceness before you, yeah. you separate from a fight. Yeah, you kind of I mean, wish there, they you, had. The, I, I wish that there had been a, a peck on the cheek, a yeah. something. There, nothing happened. And yeah. I don't think that it was, um, I don't think that he was trying to be a dick or that she was... I, I I think it was just kind of a weird. Yeah, that that would have been a nice little thing. choice that they didn't yeah, take. Yeah, it it didn't it didn't make it worse, but it no, could have made it, it better. Could have made it could have made it could better. Have made it better. Yep. So then the next scene, it's late at night. Joe is in the store. Mrs. Garrett is there, and Mrs. Garrett says, "How was Callahan?" And she says, "Gallagher." <laughs> oh, and she says, "Did he smash a pumpkin?" And Joe's like, a, a watermelon. You old lady. Yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Garrett, you old bitch. <laughs> but she asks, did he smash a pumpkin? Justin. Smashing pumpkins. When did they uh, become a band? Four years after this episode. This episode started The Simpsons and The Smashing Pumpkins? Fuck to the yes. Wow. This is how prophetic and brilliant this show was. In between all of the thousand kabillion little fucking criticisms I make every week on this podcast. <sighs> I have a quick question. Yeah. And there's no yep. right place to ask this in this yep. episode. Are they fucking? No. Absolutely not. They're moving real fast mm-hmm. for no fucking. Mm-hmm. Yep. There is a point where um, it, it was in last week's show, and I missed to, missed the, the reference. It was very funny where um, it's like, well, you guys are dating, right? And Joe's like, no, we're not dating. We're just, you know, that's not what we're doing. And Mrs. Garrett responds with something like, well, what are the two of you doing? But it is very clear. Natalie loses her virginity in season nine. Okay. And none of the other girls has. So I agree with you 150,000%. They really could have, should have been also sleeping together. Yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't introduce your kid to someone who you are not smushing parts with. Yeah. You need to... 
And and that's you, and you also need to check to make sure she even knows what to do with your man parts. Exactly, because I mean that's questionable. Yeah, just she's saying. never been penetrated for sure, <laughs> but she certainly well has... not not by a penis. So no, scissoring isn't really penetration. Just, uh, I'm saying, you know, let your fingers do the walking. So when you take two suction cups and you squeeze them together, it just gets that little <laughs> noise. Wow. <laughs> Okay, last week we started our Vagina Talk podcast. We can't go there this week. I'm just saying if you walk past Rosie O'Donnell's house at 2 in the morning, That's... you'll hear <laughs> if she's having a good night. <laughs> I wish I could make that noise. I would have said, Ellen and Portia are over visiting. And then... It's the telltale queef. Both. It's coming from the floorboards. <laughs> well, this is the point where... Mrs. Garrett and Joe are alone. And this is great because we do address the fact that Joe says, Mrs. Garrett, you've been really nice about holding, holding your tongue, your tongue. Mm-hmm. and not, oh, I could split. And I could really now use your input. That, I love that Mrs. Garrett kept her mouth shut this whole time. It is. It's commendable. And that is a strength that is yep. really difficult to, I, I have trouble with that sometimes. Good for her. Yeah. I, I, I don't really talk much at all. That's you know I'm kind of the the silent type. That's depending really, on depending on the person. I will say what I mean. That's that's my brand. That's that's the persona I give off. I'm just when, when people when you say you know oh, what, what's up with that guy David? Oh, he's a quiet one. You it's know, true. this is actually the first time David and I have chatted since <laughs> I moved in. Um, I'm, being I'm being ironical. I'm being ironical. Camera here. takes a microphone. Mrs. Garrett, beautifully. God, this is where Charlotte Ray nurturer wisdom spewer and she says and this is so perfect she says joe your instincts have always been good and you were right about sam he really is a great guy but then she goes on to say maybe you're beginning to feel that sam wants something out of this that you don't and joe's like yeah it's confusing and the thing with him and robbie and the the Ice cream and the, the party. Bings and the bada booms. And the two youths that were coming over to play with Robbie. Just like pushing down my lesbianic feelings. <laughs> like I just want to eat that puss, but Try, I'm not going to do it. I'm not, not, not no fag. Yeah. Mrs. Garrett then adds, when a 30-year-old man with a child meets a special woman, mm-hmm. chances are he's going to think about making that relationship permanent. Yep. And it's like, thank you. You're already going to parent nights. You're already responsible for his kid. It is weird that you're not fucking. Just saying it. Yeah. But you realize, Justin, there was a time mm-hmm. in our life, in our society, there still is, where people did not sleep together before they were married. Yep. So this isn't that crazy. It's 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 just it's weird now, but it's not that crazy. Anyway, I mean divorce. That's you're just setting yourself up. Exactly. I'm I'm not saying you don't have to buy the cow to get the milk for free. No. What I'm saying is you suck say, that cow titty first, though. You suck the cow titty first before you buy it. Yeah. I'm I'm so on board with that. So, um, Joe's response to the, this marriage thing is like, no, that, he's never said anything about that. And Mrs. Garrett's like, that doesn't mean. He isn't thinking about it. 
I mean, it's that action speak louder than word, louder than words thing. I mean, he is acting as though she already is yeah. an equal partner in in the care of this child, yeah. of their family. They're a family. As There's a no question. I mean, yeah. He's a family, and that's what he considers her to be. Yeah. So then, uh, the next scene, final scene. We're back in the classroom. And is this. There, I'm, I'm sorry, real quick. Is there anything more disappointing than watching something uneven and clunky and kind of shitty end in kind of a beautiful, nice, smart, intelligent way? Yeah. <laughs> this ending was very disappointing for me because it was actually written and performed and done pretty well. Yeah. You wanted to hate this episode. I wanted you it hoped, to be a piece yeah. of shit. It was quite good. It was really good. Uh, so it's after class. Joe says, sticks around, lags back, says, can I talk to you and all that? And she says, I'm really sorry if Robbie was disappointed over the, the ice cream demolition derby. And he's like, no, he reiterates, I really shouldn't have assumed you were free. Yeah. So then Joe, expressing herself nicely, says, things have been moving along really fast and I don't really know where we're going. And he, again, nice guy, says, yeah. well, this is probably my fault because I, I haven't really told you where I stand. I didn't want to bring it up this soon. It's like, finally, he's addressing how yep. quickly things have been moving. Yep. Which just makes you love him more as this is about to end. This is a nice guy. I I would fuck him and marry him and take care of oh, that kid. Oh, he's, he's husband a, he's material. He's a very nice dude. Yeah. I mean, the kid would go off to military school. But I mean, it'd be, it'd be would... weird to hear Martin Short's O sound, but yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. At what, what is Jiminy? I didn't want to know what Jiminy Glick's orgasms would sound like. <laughs> She's my lady of love. Yeah. Um, so then he goes into how much she means to him. And you know you mean a lot to me. You know you mean a lot to Robbie. I want you to marry me. He basically proposes yep. right there without you know getting down on bended knee and offering her a ring. Right. But her response is just so pure and genuine where she just backs away and turns her back to him finally in a moment where the blocking makes sense to turn your back to someone she says Sam and then he He's, says I, I'm guessing that's not a yes right and she says it should be I want it to be mm -hmm. and yet I don't know what to say and he says again Tell me how you feel. <laughs> what man in 1984 says to a woman, tell me how you feel. Marry him, Joe. <laughs> Marry him. <laughs> so she has a nice little monologue about seeing her life in pictures since yeah. being his student. And some of those pictures are places she might go and she might travel to and things she will experience as she continues down the road of life, as it were. And she says, some of the pictures include you and Robbie, but some of them don't. And he comes back and says, well, my picture album is mostly family pictures. Yeah. And then she says, I don't want to hurt you. I feel like I'm cheating you out of a family. And he says, you're 19. You don't need to apologize to anybody for what you want to do with your life. Mm -hmm. That is beautiful. Yep. It is also wrong, but it is beautiful. <laughs> Joe is not 19. Joe is 20. God damn it, would they get these ages right? Yeah, but 
19 sounds better for the message. Oh, yeah. 19 dating 30 definitely works better for this episode. Also, much hotter. <laughs> much, much hotter. Still, still technically Steamy. banging a teenager, just saying. Can't get mad. It's not like she's newly legal. I mean, she's had a year. <laughs> Why do we have to put labels on things like yeah. numbers and labels? Yeah, why do, why we, do we have, have to have put to... labels on young girls that want to experience <laughs> sexual congress with dozens of men in the company of their own? Whatever she wants to do with her teacher, she doesn't have to apologize. I mean, what a relationship between a girl and her football team is a sacred and beautiful thing that shouldn't be questioned. And I don't know why it's Bing Crosby who's talking very... <laughs> But be sure to have yourself a glass of Florida orange juice. I thought he just—he would just beat women. He wouldn't rape them, would he? Well, he beat his kids. He was beat more of a kids. kid beater, not okay. a woman beater. Not, oh, okay. Yeah, but <laughs> that the legal final... team, solid. But with this, with this ending of the relationship, and and again, ending on such a beautiful, mature note of this thirty-year-old saying, "You're nineteen. I cannot be mad at you for saying yep. you have things you want to do and experience and being." being bogged down with a husband and a, and a stepchild it is incompatible with that. That yeah. makes sense to me. Yep. And it's just like, God damn, he's such a good guy. So the final is the, the final moment here is I love yous back and forth. Mm -hmm. And then her saying, I learned so much from being with you. And he says, well, maybe the sign of being a good teacher is knowing when to let go. And then she says, love means never having to say you're sorry. And then he says, if you love something, set it free. If it comes back, hold on to it forever. And then she says, today is the first day of the rest of your life. And then he says, tap that wet ass pussy. Okay, I'm, you see where I'm going with this. Thank you. Thank you. My new co-host for the show, say hello to wet ass pussy. Oh, God. Left a ring on the seat. <laughs> uh, he was a uh, coaster. Uh, yeah. I, I could have done with just the final I love yous. This final, I learned so much. Yes. They sell it. Their performances are great. I forgive it. I so forgive I, it. But as I'm reciting it to you, I'm like, God, we're in fucking bumper sticker land. And to, to me, the thing is not a good teacher uh, knows when to let you go. It's... I. Uh, Loving means letting go. Yeah. That's what it is. They warped it for their stupid mistake in writing in the first episode, which was he was the teacher. Yeah. They just kind of warped a, eh, whatever. It's yeah. Fine. He, um, you know what? He should have been, he should have been a teacher at Eastland if they wanted to play. But she, but yeah. the idea is her learning from him as a photographer. I don't know. Uh, It'll. But that didn't real, that didn't really develop into much. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know how to fix it. That's, that's. It is interesting how, at this point, at this mm -hmm. end of this story, looking back, what a little percentage of it now was about the age difference, it the teacher-student thing. It, it really feels like the first draft of a gifted playwriting student in school. <laughs> I, I don't mean that. Like, I mean, there's, there's stuff there, and we got yeah. a lot of really good stuff out of it. But this is a little rough around the edges. Could be better. Uh, we, we've had episodes that were a lot rougher, real, mm. really. But, well, I mean, the, this show has improved since I started watching. Uh, yeah, I, I would uh, agree with you. And uh, for for the faults, the missteps in this mm -hmm. episode, I think where they do get it right 
I think it it makes up for it. So I think this is one of the this is a, this is a thumbs up for me. I like this. This is a good episode. Have we reached the peak? When does this go to shit? It, it, there there is diminishing returns. And when does that start? Some argue. I have argued it is now the Edna Zedevils years. Oh, but other people argue it's the over our heads, which is next season. Seven, eight, and nine. So, whatever school of thought you're in, we're at the end of an era in a in a sense. Well, yeah. Matthew says that he thinks season six is one of the best. Okay. And we've had a couple of good ones. We have had a couple of good ones through seasons uh, five and six. And uh, in, in this, as a two parter, I I have to give it credit and say, okay, this is one of the better ones. This is better than a lot of the Eastland shows. But I think it's safe to say to to your fans that the, the shittier the show gets, this show, this podcast, will only get better. <laughs> and longer. I will have more and... stuff to rant about. It will be three hours. And I'll be like, okay, well, I'm only going to do the first half of this week's episode because we had to stop at three hours because... Because my guest keeled over dead because I didn't feed him anything or give him any water. Well, Justin, we are at the end of our journey. So the last thing, because we do have a little bit of time, so I want to ask you about a commercial from your childhood. What what uh, commercial just pops to mind? There's a board game that um, I actually uh, enjoyed a little bit. Uh, growing up, growing up, board games um, had a lot of mechanics, a lot of like moving parts, like mousetrap and like. Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, board games were more than a board. They were like pop-up boards. And there was one called Don't Wake Daddy, which just What? Which just what? makes me think of the uh, the young versus the old relationship in this episode. Uh, Don't Wake Daddy, you were playing a little kid, sneaking around the house, trying to get a midnight snack from the kitchen. But if you woke up daddy, this like You'd get this, a whipping. Like, this mechanical this mechanical father in like a Victorian like dressing gown with the hat would lurch up from his like bed <laughs> Ebenezer it, it was, Scrooge Ebenezer, style? Kind of yeah and it's like oh no I woke up daddy well I guess uh, no snacks for me and I, I assume he I, I don't remember I haven't played since I was probably like six or seven but I think you got beaten I I need to look up this game but don't wait wow. daddy talk about something you will never find in the 21st century don't anger your parent don't, don't don't invoke discipline. There don't. was a there was a, like a song to it too. Uh, you got to look it up. I, I certainly will. But thank you for being a part of a two parter. Thank you for uh, taking on this this honking big double uh, double duty of of responsibility. Oh yeah, uh, any any time that's convenient for both you and I. Anytime. <laughs> Any time that fits into my schedule of a full week. Well, you know, I, I love having you uh, over to my house and really come back anytime. I will. I, uh, I think I might use your restroom. Okay. If you, if you could, just um, if you could lock the door before you leave out the front, that'd be great. Because I'm, I'm going to bed. <sighs> All right. Bye. Bye. And there you have it. That was Justin Schneier. Part two of two. I thank him again for coming all the way into the dining room from his room to record the show. I appreciate him making the journey. So the question did come up about were Joe and Sam fucking? And it reminded me of a discussion that was on Facebook in some comments where uh, I was talking about Natalie being the first of the girls to lose her virginity 
in season nine, episode 16. So with that, I'm like, no, Joe is a virgin. All of them are virgins. But somebody did comment that they thought that Joe's status was a little more nebulous in that uh, first time episode in season nine. So I did go back and pull it up because this this raised the same question. And I'm like, OK, I got to I got to reacquaint myself with it. <laughs> oh, my God. First of all, it is so weird to see season nine facts of life right after a season six facts of life. You're like these costumes. Amazing. Bravo to my close personal friend, Diana Eden, for the costumes. Uh, Kim Fields is so mature in three years. She's really, I mean, on top of being gorgeous, she really uh, comes into her own and her acting is spot on. Gone are the days of season five and uh, complaining about her being too loud. And uh, <laughs> then there are these just other people. These, who's this Beverly Ann and her son Andy? And who's this Pippa? These people popping in and out of our show. It's uh, it's quite uh, like culture shock, I guess, is the best word to describe it. But back to the Joe Virgin thing. Um, yeah, it doesn't say explicitly that she had not had sex, nor did it say explicitly that she had had sex. Her comments and her involvement are kind of noncommittal, which I suppose is, you know, on brand for Joe. Joe is like that, doesn't like people prying into her personal stuff. But uh, it's just very interesting to go back and look at that and say, yeah, Joe's, Joe may not be a virgin by the time season nine rolls around. She could already be doing it here and now. And uh, so, I mean, if so, great, fine, fabulous, good for her. At least, at least she's getting some. Now, another thing I wanted to tell you is, uh, because it's at the end of the month, TV Talkaholics episode 14 will be dropping on the Patreon shortly after the new year. Matthew and I have already recorded it. We watched an episode of The Love Boat from 1979, where Nancy McKeon played a young gymnast. And uh, it's super fun. And that's available to the Patreon supporters. You can go to patreon.com slash face the facts pod if you are interested in uh, supporting the show and having access to that uh, additional podcast that Matthew and I do. Now, next week, my special guest is going to be actor, singer, improviser, keynote speaker, and published author, Louis Gravance. Louis and I are going to be watching Season 6, Episode 8, EGOC, Edna Garrett on Campus. You can watch the show for free at dailymotion.com, and I will post the link in the show's webpage and in the show notes on your podcatcher. This is my last show for 2020, guys, so I am wishing you a happy, peaceful, healthy, and prosperous new year. Let's hope better days lay ahead or lie ahead or lane, lane ahead in 2021, or at least better grasp of the English language. And uh, I thank you, as always, for listening and supporting the show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. 
Visit my website, facethefactspod.com, for supplemental photos and videos, audio extras from the digital cutting room floor, links to my social media, and ways that you can support the show financially. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.